This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Good evening. Good evening. It's an honor to be here with President and Mrs. Obama, President Clinton and Chelsea. And if we all do our part tomorrow, President-elect Clinton. Yes, yes. The choice tomorrow couldn't be any clearer. Hillary's candidacy, candidacy is based on intelligence, experience, preparation, and on an actual vision of an America where everyone counts, men and women, white and black, Hispanic and native, where folks of all faiths and backgrounds can come together to address our problems in a reasonable and thoughtful way. That vision of America is essential to sustain, no matter how difficult its realization. Hillary sees an America where the issue of income distribution should be at the forefront of our national conversation. Where the progress we've made in reducing unemployment is not enough, we must do better. She has a vision of universal health care for all that will build on the work of President Obama's. She sees an America that needs to be fairer, where our highest courts look to protect the rights of all of our citizens and not just the privileged. She sees an America where the issue of immigration reform is dealt with realistically and compassionately. And she calls to an America that participates in the welfare of our planet, both in world affairs and in global science and where the unfinished business of protecting the rights of women is not an afterthought, but a priority. This is the country where we are indeed, where we will indeed be stronger together. Now briefly, to address our opponent, this is a man whose vision is limited to little beyond himself, who has the profound lack of decency that would allow him to prioritize his own interests, an ego before American democracy itself. Somebody who'd be willing to damage our long-cherished and admired system rather than look to himself for the reasons behind his own epic failure. That's unforgivable. Tomorrow, those ideas and that campaign is going down. Let's all, do, let's all do our part so we can look back on 2016 and say we stood with Hillary Clinton on the right side of history. That's why I'm standing here with you tonight for the dream of a better It's Tuesday, 14 February in the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, uh, that did not age well. That is from 7 November of the year 2016. And that is Bruce Springsteen. I think we'll call him the cooler now. Uh, approximately at uh, two o'clock or about uh, two thirty in the morning uh, on uh, on the ninth of November, uh, the Associated Press called Pennsylvania for uh, candidate uh, Donald J. Trump and called the presidency for Donald J. Trump, and he took a phone call from Hillary Clinton. Moments after we at the Hilton Hotel in Midtown Manhattan, we walked out. That scene in front of Independence Hall had about a million people. It was the big final rally. For uh, for Hillary Clinton, President Obama was there and backstage was a uh, was uh, Ronnie Jackson, who was a Navy, uh, I think a captain at the time. I don't know if you, I think he made Admiral Admiral Jackson uh, joins us now. He's got a new book holding the line. Admiral Jackson, had you made Admiral at the time? Are you still a captain? You were a physician for President Obama, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I was already promoted to Admiral at that time to Rear Admiral. Yes, sir. Yeah. Ronnie, Ronnie, it's a great story you tell in the book. You're backstage. You're kind of a Trump. You're kind of a Trump guy. I mean, you thought very highly yeah, of President yeah. Obama and the people around him. They were friends, but you're backstage and you got to bite your tongue because they were already high fiving. 
They thought this was a blowout. They thought they were looking at 400 electoral yeah. votes. Tell us about that scene, sir. Well, it was ridiculous. You know, we went back there and, uh, you know, it's supposed to be this rally. It's the eve of the election. And I, it was unbelievable to me. It was, a, it was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a campaign rally. It was a victory celebration. They were already prematurely celebrating the win. I mean, I went backstage and you saw you Bruce Springsteen back there and the president, you know, President Obama, Mrs. Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, uh, Jennifer Palmieri, all of the campaign team. They were back there. As soon as we got there, they were high-fiving and hugging. And I mean, just like the, it was it was as if the election had already been over and they were celebrating the win. They were talking about whether or not it would be looking, it looked bad, like they're rubbing it in their face with the fireworks and this, that, and the other. It was insane. I'd never seen anything like it. And, you know, to be honest with you, uh, you know, I was a huge, uh, I've been a hardcore Republican my entire life. I represent the most conservative district in the entire United States, and that's where I grew up. And those are the people I represent now. Uh, and I, you know, I, I was really pulling for, uh, for President Trump to win because I saw what was going on during the, the eight years of the Obama administration. I saw how, you know, uh, everything that happened in the Obama administration revolved around identity politics, straight versus gay, black versus white, man versus woman, rich versus poor, just fragmenting the country. And in my mind, just really setting the stage for the horrible things that are going on right now. I could see that coming. I was hoping that he would win. But I guess I had drank the Kool-Aid like everybody else. I mean, I've been watching TV. I've been seeing all the pollsters and stuff saying that you know Trump was going to get beat, that there was no way he was going to win. And, and uh, you know, so I saw it and I was just astonished where it was going. But I'll tell you what, uh, you know, the next day I went to work at the White House and, uh, you know, it was a normal day. And I walk into the West Wing and it's, everybody's going around doing their thing. It's, you know, it's the day of the election. And I leave there pretty late at night, like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. I'm driving back. I'm starting to hear some stuff on the radio on my drive back. It sounds like, you know, that th th things are really trending Trump's direction. I'm like, what's going on? Right. So I get home and just like everybody else, I stay up three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot believe he won. You know, I was just I was freaking out. I was so excited that he won and all. And the next day I went back to the White House and I'll tell you what, man, it was like. Everybody was there. Everybody came to work. The, the parking lot west of the deck was full of cars, but nobody came out of their offices. It was like a morgue. It was like somebody had died. And I actually saw people crying at times. It was insane. I was like, what a, uh, what a difference between the Monday night before and the, the overblown celebration and the Wednesday after. It was just, it was, it was unbelievable. I think I'm going to play that tape now that my staff found it because I read the book and I said we got to pull this. A great story by Jim, Admiral Jack. Listen, here's what, here's what I understand. Explain to our audience. I, you know, Chester Nimitz, uh, the great victor uh, in the Pacific Fleet in World War II, is from Texas. Uh, you're from Texas near near Lubbock. Uh, how does a guy from Texas end up in the in hard scrabble Texas end up in the United States Navy and end up as an admiral, sir? Well, you know, it's just it, it, just one thing led to another. I got into diving, believe it or not. I live in a part of Texas where there's no water, no trees. But I, I took a diving class when I was 15 years old, got certified to dive to Springfield Lakes and quarries all over Texas and New Mexico. And whenever I started going to school, I initially started out as an engineering major, realized pretty quickly that wasn't my thing, ended up being a biology major and decided I wanted to be a marine biologist. So I, uh, I, went to, I went to Texas A&M at Galveston. I majored in marine biology there. Well, I didn't really have any money to pay for any of my own education. So I worked in the oil field as a rouse about to pay for all my undergrad. But while I was there, I needed a little extra money. So I went across the street to the University of Texas Medical Branch, which is the main medical school for the University of Texas, which is also there in Galveston. I asked him if I could get a job just to, you know, working in one of the labs or something to make a little extra money when I wasn't in class. They said, yeah, they'd work something out. They called me a few days later. They said, hey, we got you a job. We got you a job as an autopsy assistant in the pathology department. I was like, what? I was like, so I, I you know, I, I said, okay, I'll take it. So I went and my job was to, to do the autopsies. I would basically open the body up and take the organs out, pass them to the end of the table where the path resident was at, the pathology resident. They would dissect everything out and figure out how the person died. And when it was all over, my job was to put all the organs uh, in the buckets and, uh, you know, sew everything up. And I'd take the, the brain out and the whole nine yards and, uh, you know, they started teaching me a little bit. The path resident said, hey, remember that liver you took out yesterday? And I was like, yeah, come down and look at this one. This guy's got liver cancer. See the difference? I got a little interested in medicine. So I decided, you know what? I don't know if I want to be a marine biologist anymore. I might want to be a doctor. I knew I didn't want to be a pathologist. I've been a firefighter and things of that nature. So I thought, you know what? I, I want to be an ER doc. So I did, but I couldn't afford to, uh, to go to, to medical school. My parents don't have a lot of money. My, I come from a hardworking blue collar family and I wasn't about to borrow that kind of money. 
So I called and talked to the military and I applied for the Army Scholarship and the Navy Scholarship. I got them both. And it's a health profession scholarship where if you get the scholarship, they'll pay for all four years of your med school anywhere in the United States. But you have to pay them back four years. You owe them year for year. So I, I got both those scholarships because of my background diving. I immediately gravitated toward the Navy Scholarship, took that. As soon as I graduated from med school, I went straight to the Naval Hospital of Portsmouth, Virginia, found out about a job that was available in the Navy, which I never would have imagined. You could be a diving medical officer where you could be a doctor and a Navy deep sea diver. So I signed up for that right away. They sent me straight to Panama City, Florida, put me through six months of Navy dive school. I became a fully qualified Navy deep sea diver, you know, walking around on the bottom with the hose and the helmet, the whole nine yards. And I was also a physician. So for the next five or six years, they preferentially assigned me to diving units, to explosive ordnance disposal teams, uh, underwater salvage teams, Navy SEALs, things of that nature. And I just went all over the world with these small diving teams uh, as a diver and as their doctor. And that's how I kind of got into the Navy. And then eventually I realized I needed to get board certified. I went back to the Naval Hospital of Portsmouth, Virginia. I got board certified in emergency medicine. That was 2005, 2000, 2004, 2005. The war in Iraq and Afghanistan were pretty hot and heavy then. If you were a board-certified Navy emergency medicine doctor, you by default belong to the United States Marine Corps. So as soon as I finished my residency, they sent me straight to Camp Lejeune, married up with the 2nd Marines, went straight to Iraq, spent a, almost a year in Iraq with the 2nd Marines uh, right on the battlefield uh, as the uh, officer in charge of the resuscitation component of a surgical shock trauma platoon. And while I was there... I got offered a job at the White House as a White House physician. And honest to God, I didn't even really know this job existed. And it turns out that they at the time had two Army, two Navy and two Air Force docs. there, all internal medicine and family practice. They decided they needed an emergency medicine doc at the White House, which is a, a smart thing to, to do. And the Navy guy was the next guy rolling out. So my specialty leader just threw my name in the hat without even letting me know, really. I got an invitation uh, to uh, I got my package in. I eventually got an invitation to go to the White House and interview. Uh, I uh, went to the White House for three days, interviewed. Uh, at the end of the three days, they told me I got the, got the job. I jumped right back uh, on a plane, flew back to uh, Iraq, finished my tour there for another four months, and then came straight from Iraq to the White House. And that was in early 2006. And I was the brand new junior White House physician for George W. Bush. And uh, that's how I ended up at the White House. And one thing led to another. Uh, I, I got promoted to this Deputy Director of the White House Medical Unit, Director of the White House Medical Unit, Assistant to the President, you know, Senior Advisor, so on and so forth. And I ended up just staying at the White House uh, uh, through three administrations for 14 years, serving uh, three presidents. And you became President Trump's not just uh, you weren't just the uh, the head uh, doctor or corpsman at the uh, at the White House. You were also became kind of a, an informal advisor to President Trump because knowing his habits. You would be essentially yeah. the first guy to, to meet with him every day. And people people should know President Trump's up pretty early. He's pretty early. Yeah. He's up pretty early checking the che- watching morning Mika, right? Making notes, taking notes or tweet, in those days, tweeting out. And I didn't really know him, you know, when he first came in. I mean, and I, and I ended up it pissed everybody in the Obama administration off when I decided I was going to stay. But, uh, you know, I stayed and, and, and I wanted to get to know President Trump pretty quickly. Well, you know, you know, a lot of people don't know, but my office is directly below his bedroom in the ground floor of the White House. And so he'd get up early. Like you said, he'd be up five o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, watching TV, tweeting, uh, talking on the phone, whatever. By the time he dropped down that elevator, he was pretty spun up. He was looking for somebody to talk to. I'd be standing at the bottom of the elevator, you know, right out at the door of my office. And I'd say, good morning, Mr. President. And he'd say, morning, Doc. And he'd walk over and he said, did you see this? Did you see that? And, you know, it wouldn't have anything to do with medicine. It would just be whatever was happening, you know, during the day, you know. Uh, the, the news of the day it could have been something about Iran or it could have been Stormy Daniels. I don't know. It just was whatever was out there. And I'd say, yes, sir, I did. And we'd start talking. He'd go walk with me. And I'd just walk with him over to the Oval Office. So I'd walk down uh, uh, the uh, uh, West Colonnade and the Oval Colonnade into the back of the Oval Office. And I'd finish up my conversation there. I'd walk out. And uh, your chief of staff, sometimes you, uh, you know, whoever uh, was, was waiting to come in would, would be out in the outer Oval. I'd walk out. They'd walk in as day would start. But I just got a lot of FaceTime with him early on. I got to know him, and I realized I really loved the man. You know, I loved his attitude. I loved his aggressive nature. I loved the way he just said what he thought. And, uh, and I realized that we had a lot in common, and we just developed a pretty tight bond. He developed a lot of trust and confidence in me, and I just developed unbelievable respect for him. 
Uh, to, uh, I'm going to get to currently this situation with COVID. It's uh, two things ironic. Number one, I think as a young kid, you went over to Australia and you did some diving in the Coral Sea, I which did. is that uh, that connection to the Navy, one of our great our great sea battles. Also, UT Galveston, that'll come up, and I'm sure in their hearings yeah. as you get into Fauci. I want to get there a second, but yeah. in the book, there's a, there's a disturbing section, quite frankly, w- about how you were treated and about General John Kelly. And, and this is going to start coming up because there's a lot of us that want investigations about the summer of 2020, and particularly General Milley and others. Uh, you imply in your book that General Kelly would not, uh, when President Trump gave a directive, in fact, there's an amazing scene in there where you guys come out of a meeting and you're walking and, and you've already, Kelly's already told you, hey, we're slow. Trump goes boom, 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 like he normally does. I want this, I want this, I want this. I mean, he's very direct. And you come out, and Kelly's going to say, "No, no, no, we're going to we're going to slow walk this. Just don't do it." And Trump tells you later, "No, I want to go. I told you, bang, bang, bang. I wanted bang, bang, bang." Did John Kelly? You believe that John Kelly's chief of staff uh, would actually thwart President Trump's direct orders of certain things he wanted done? Absolutely. I think you know. I, I learned a lot. I was naive when I went into that. You know, I'd been in the military for you know. Well, I finished twenty five years, but I've been in the military over twenty years at that point. And, uh, you know, I'd never been in a political role before. And suddenly uh, I got thrown into this political world where I was the nominee for the secretary of the VA. And I didn't realize what was going on behind the scenes. I honestly thought that General Kelly, as the president's chief of staff, and he, you know, he'd sit down and talk to me and, and, and gave me the impression. I talked to him multiple times. Obviously, I talked to him all the time. And he was really had, had instilled in me that, that uh, he was looking out for my best interest, you know, and that he was in my corner 100%, so on and so forth. But what I realized is that there was, there was stuff going on behind the scenes that I didn't, I didn't even, I wasn't even privy to. And, and it's the deep state. I mean, it's real. I've seen it. I've lived it, you know. And what happened is everybody, uh, and you know this, uh, Steve, everybody knew that David Shulkin was getting fired, that he was moving on. I knew it. David Shulkin knew it. David was a friend of mine. David and I had a breakfast in the West Wing and talked about next moves for him, so on and so forth, uh, at several occasions. So everybody in, knew that David Shulkin was leaving. It was not if, but when. And what I found out later on, I, I just put the pieces together. I didn't even realize this until after it was over. I realized that one of the reasons I didn't get confirmed, the main reason, really the only reason I didn't get confirmed as the secretary of the VA was because they, General Kelly, and all the people around him, that, uh, and, and I'm talking about uh, you know, Johnny Isaacson and John Tester and uh, you know, other members of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee and uh, General Mattis over in DOD and, and, and John Kelly in, in, in the, in the, as the president's chief of staff, they all had already picked somebody else for the job, right? But they picked somebody that the president, no, they picked Wilkie, which I don't have anything against Wilkie. I think Wilkie did a fine job as a VA secretary, and I don't blame him for anything. because I would have done the same thing he did, would have taken advantage of the opportunity to, to do that. But they had picked Wilkie a long time before the president ever mentioned my name. But they knew that the president wasn't going wasn't to nominate Wilkie because they didn't really know him. So I think the plan was to fire Shulkin, put Wilkie in as the acting, get some wins under his belt, get him some face time with the president, and then convince the president that he was the person they should nominate for the job, right? And they knew this guy that all worked with him. Wilkie had worked in the Veterans Affairs Committee uh, on the Senate side for a long, long time, for many years. He was Tillis's uh, chief of staff for a while. Then he had moved over a couple of years before this happened to DOD, and he had worked for Mattis and Kelly. So they all had a personal relationship with him. They all felt like he was somebody that they could control, somebody that they could, you know, they, they could they could influence. They thought I was a loose cannon. They thought, you know, this guy's going to answer nobody but the president. We can't have this, which, by the way, would have been my job as a cabinet secretary. But they wanted somebody that had some control over. So, you know, they they when the when the president threw my name in the hat just unexpectedly, we're on Air Force One coming back from Mar Largo or coming back from somewhere in, in Florida. And uh, he just called me up and said he wanted me to be his VA secretary. That threw a huge wrench in their plans. And they went to battle stations and and they thought initially I was going to fall on my face from an experience and from a knowledge standpoint. I didn't. I studied my butt off every day, all day long, from uh, crack of dawn until midnight on VA stuff. I knew more stuff about VA than any of them, than all of them put together. And uh, they realized that I was going to I was going to inspire confidence in the American people when I got up, you know, before the Senate confirmation uh, in my Senate confirmation hearing on C-SPAN. And they were going to have to they were going to have to confirm me. So they went to plan B and plan B was to tear me down on a personal level, make up a bunch of garbage, push it out, get it on CNN, MSNBC and tear this nomination down. 
And I had never, ever seen anything like that. And most people in the White House had told me they'd never seen anything like that uh, to date. And I, I tell people now, you know, I got Kavanaugh before Kavanaugh did. I was the warm up. I was the pregame. Uh, I just didn't know it at the time. Now, it's happened to a lot of people since then. But, you know, that that, that was a that was a rude awakening for me. Here's what I don't get. You're, you're a flag officer. And for a guy that you're not Naval Academy, I mean, you don't come from any of the elite side. You're, you're from Hardscrabble, Texas, right? You're a, you're a, you're a sure. combat veteran, uh, you know, a Navy, a Navy diver. I had a, a, a uncle that was a diver before the SEALs. I mean, the old school guys like you, right. d, d, a diver. EDT, yeah. Um, this is hard. This, this is original, OG, this original gangsters you can get in the Navy. Um, how do guys like Madison Kelly, I mean, as a flag officer, because this problem's going to come up, particularly when President Trump wins his, his second, uh, wins the third time for his second term. How, what is the story with the military thinking that the commander in chief to tell him to do something? And instead of coming back and say, I think you ought to do it this way. You haven't thought of this. This is an alternative, et cetera. They're just going to do what they're going to want to do. And you see this out of Millie. You see it out of Mattis. You see it out of McMaster. You see it out of Kelly. I mean, this is not one guy going rogue. This is endemic. And we have a major problem in the military. As a flag officer, tell me what it is, how we got there, and what we're going to do about it. Well, I tell you, I think that the the root of the problem, Steve, is that during the eight years of the Obama administration, they vetted the military, especially the flag and general officers for people that they that they wanted in place right now at this particular time. They did a good job of this. You know, if you were a captain, if you're an 06, a colonel or captain about to become an admiral or a general, you know, they looked at, you know, they tried to determine, you know, what were your political leanings? Did you lean to the left? Do you lean to the right? Or are you just one of those people in the middle that would just do whatever you're told, regardless of what you believe and not push back at all, right? There was three categories in my mind. And they looked at the two stars that were going to be three stars and the three stars are going to be four stars. And what they did is they let the ones that they thought had conservative leanings, they let them time out. They just, they didn't promote them and they ended up moving on and they retired. The ones that had the, that had the left, uh, the, the liberal leanings, they promoted them to the top and they became the three stars and the four stars that we're dealing with today. And then, you know, the ones that were just squishes in the middle, they, they, some of those got promoted as well. And they may not believe in what they're doing, but they do it anyways. And so I think that's where we ended up, uh, you know, with, with the group that we have now. But to be honest with you, I think that a lot of them are very full of themselves, uh, you know, uh, and, and they, they, uh, they, they're very narcissistic and they just believe that, that they know better than the president, especially Trump. And they, they convinced themselves that Trump was dangerous from a national security standpoint, from a defense standpoint. And they literally believed that it was their duty to behind the scenes to manipulate what was going on and to protect the country from some of the stuff that they thought Trump might do. Now, looking back, we know that Trump's decisions were rock solid. And if we had Trump in office right now, we wouldn't have half the problems that we have in this world right now. We all know that. But, you know, early on, I think that they thought it was their job to stop that. And, uh, yeah, I don't think they had any problem conspiring behind the scenes uh, and and holding information back or, uh, you know, uh, spinning information in a certain way to push him to make a decision uh, that he otherwise wouldn't have made if he'd had all the information in front of him. So they did not do a service to this. Is it the how? is the House's response, given your, 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 you understand how the system works. There's a lot of congressmen who are great guys, but they're lawyers. They haven't been there. Uh, do you believe that the House starting now and then President Trump when he returns has to do a purge? At the, see, the senior oh. military is so woke, but even, even more yeah. dangerous than being woke. This concept that the military, and I, you know, I was a naval officer for about seven, seven eight years. Mm-hmm. This, and I've worked as an aide to the special assistant, the chief of naval operations. Back in Reagan's administration, it would be unthinkable, 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 given the United States Navy at that time and the military and the Pentagon, unthinkable, the type of behavior you see every day from Mattis, from McMasters, from Kelly, from Milley. It's 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 something from another country. Right. What has to happen to the military? You think you need a purge at the senior levels? A hundred percent. We need a purge not only in DOD, we need a purge in every executive branch that's out there. And that's one of the reasons I tell people we have got to get President Trump back. A lot of people are like, well, what about this? What about that? Different candidates. I'm like, look, there's one thing that President Trump will do that I know he will do that I don't think any other Republican that gets there is going to have the guts to do. They may say they're going to do it, but the push comes to shove. I don't think they're going to have the guts to, to do it, but Trump will do it. And that is to purge our, our, our government. Trump has told me that when he gets back in, he's going to get rid of 25 percent of 
of the bureaucracy in every single department across the board. Uh, and, and, you know, we're going to and, and he's going to look for the people that are making decisions based on political motivations because that's not their job. I'll tell you, I think that one of the uh, biggest mistakes he made when he came in and it obviously wasn't his fault. He just he, he made some assumptions that anybody anybody would make is that when he got elected president, he thought that when he came in, the people that worked in the executive office of the president, meaning DOJ or DOD or the VA or Department of Energy, all of these different uh, departments that make up the executive office of the president. He thought that when he got elected as president, that they would immediately share his agenda and they would push his his ideas forward and they would help him, uh, you know, move forward in the direction that he thought was best as the president of the United States and as the head of EOP. And that didn't happen. People behind the scenes, career career politicians, uh, you know, people that are in career positions that shouldn't be making decisions based on political reasons. But I said career politicians are career employees, but they're, they, they act as politicians. People, they were they were cutting his legs out from under him at every level. So, yes, we got to get our military back. We got to get our, our flag and general officers. We, we have to get some unbiased uh, non-political folks that are serving in those roles that want to take care of us and want to defend our country. And that's their primary goal, not kissing up, not trying to get a job afterwards, not trying to you know, prove how woke they are so they can go out and sit on some woke corporate board when they get out because that's what they all do. And we, we got to get them back. We got to get our military academies back. And then, you know, I'm not as worried about the bread and butter folks in the military right now, because if you go down and you talk to the folks that are that are in the enlisted ranks and in the junior officer ranks, they think the way I do. They're, they have not been polluted by this, but they're going after them, too, right now. That's why they're they're trying to purge the military, all the ranks uh, of people that have uh, any type of conservative ideology whatsoever. And they use COVID. They use the COVID vaccine mandate to do some of that as well. Admiral Jackson, if you can just give us a few more minutes, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come okay. back. Admiral Jackson is going to be one of the leaders in getting to the bottom of exactly what happened with the CCP COVID-19 Virus. Admiral Jackson, tip of the spear, short commercial break. Congressman Jackson from Texas, next in the war room. Despite the U.S. blowing through $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in January, the leftist White House still refuses to reduce spending. While our national leadership has buried their heads in the sand, When it comes to fiscal responsibility, it's time to pull yours out. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000. And it's only going to get worse. Now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold. In times of high uncertainty and instability, gold is king because it's dependable. Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text Bannon, that's B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of our precious metals specialists. Protect yourself with gold today by texting Bannon to 989898. That's Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898. With an A-plus rating, With the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Text Bannon to 989898 today to get your free info kit. Take action. Use your agency. In my younger days, I was a naval officer on a destroyer. In fact, I was the A-gang officer in charge of all the engineering systems that were not main propulsion. And one of those was air purification. And I can tell you, the standards of the United States Navy are second to none. If all home air purifiers are the same, why did the U.S. Department of Defense select EnviroCleanse to protect and purify the air on board our Navy ships? Because EnviroCleanse, advanced mineral technology, goes beyond ordinary HEPA filters to destroy airborne illness-causing cold and flu viruses, including covid EnviroCleanse is the new science in air purification, and now you can order one for your home. This is how you help stop colds and flus from taking your whole family down. This is how you destroy allergy-inflaming toxins and mold from the air your family breathes. In fact, this hospital-grade technology is so powerful that it promises far fewer colds and allergies and better sleep. Visit ekpure.com. That's ekpure.com and use the code STEVE for 10% off your EnviroCleanse home purification unit. 
you also receive a free air quality monitor plus fast free shipping. That's $150 savings right there. That's ekpure.com, code Steve. ekpure.com, code Steve. House Republicans, meantime, are now officially making Dr. Anthony Fauci the latest face of the opposition, demanding he provide documents and appear for testimony. Fauci, who earned sky-high approval ratings in the early days of the COVID response, has since endured nearly three years of attacks from Republicans. Their latest claim? That he was, quote, alerted early on that COVID-19 had the makings of a manipulated virus, yet may have chosen to cover it up instead of blowing the whistle. Fauci says he will show up, and as we've seen, he doesn't shy away from a fight. Did you talk with any of those See, scientists but privately? You keep, the, you keep the story you? of the truth. It is, it is you stunning talk, how you, you do you talk that? to any of the scientists privately? Not only are you distorting it, you are completely turning it around. As well, most you of the scientists do. That... You keep coming back to personal attacks on me that have absolutely no relevance to reality. NBC's Ryan Nobles is on Capitol Hill for us. So, Ryan, what specifically are House Republicans seeking from Dr. Fauci? And do we have any idea when they might hold this hearing? So, first of all, Chris, this is an interview that was likely to be scheduled behind closed doors, an interview, a transcribed interview that the Select Committee on the Coronavirus Pandemic is asking Fauci to appear before. And the, the real aim of this subcommittee, the overall goal from House Republicans, is to try and determine the origins of the coronavirus pandemic. And as you alluded to in your intro there, uh, they do believe that members uh, of the Biden administration uh, and even the Trump administration before that, that were tasked with reigning in the coronavirus pandemic, pandemic, uh, went to great lengths to try and cover up the fact uh, that uh, the Chinese government may have been responsible for the creation uh, of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, there's no specific evidence yet that uh, can definitively make a statement as bold as that. But what they want is to press Fauci on what he knew and when he knew it, and if he played any role in a potential cover-up. Again, no direct evidence of that, but that's part of why they want to get him uh, in a room and ans ask, answer those questions. Uh, as you point out, Chris, uh, in the in the past, Fauci has been willing to battle with members of Congress in an open setting and defend his record, defend the decisions that he made uh, during his time uh, as the director, uh, you know, kind of the, the lead uh, uh, member of the uh, federal government tasked with reigning in the coronavirus. This may be a different situation. If they've got him behind closed doors, uh, they may ask him these tough questions. They could likely videotape that uh, deposition to be used at a later date, but it may be a lot different than what we've experienced so far with his testimony testimony up until this point. Chris? Okay, welcome back. I have uh, Admiral Congressman Ronnie Jackson. He's going to be on this committee. He's put on there for a very specific reason. He understands science. He understands the math. He understands geopolitics. Congressman Jackson, uh, MTG's on there too. So they got, uh, coming out of the box, we've got two fighters. W walk me through what you anticipate. What, what are you looking for? You're, you're not there to put Fauci on trial. We understand that. Well, tell me, what is the purpose of the committee? What evidence are you trying to get to? And what are you, what are you trying to get clear so that you can later present it to the American people? Well, look, Steve, the purpose of the committee is to make sure that we get the answers to what happens so that it never happens again. Obviously, this was a disaster. This was a disaster for the health and well-being of all of us at this particular point. Uh, it was a disaster for the education of our kids, uh, small businesses. Uh, people, their livelihoods were destroyed. Uh, our kids are behind in school. This is, there's so many things that happened over the last few years that were related to this. We have to get the answers to everything so that we can prevent this again. It has to start with the origins. Where did this come from? This came, I, I'm 100% convinced, and the data is out there. We will bring this data forward, and we will bring the experts that can show you that this this is not a, this, this was a man-made virus. This was not a naturally occurring virus, and it came from China, and it almost certainly came from Wuhan, where there was a lab that was working on coronavirus uh, and, 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 and also working on weapons of mass destruction, on, on bioweapons. And the, I am 100% convinced that this was probably an accidental release from that lab where they were working on coronavirus to make it, to weaponize it, essentially. And, and we'll figure this all out. That's, that's one of the first things we're going to do. If that's the case, we need to hold China accountable. But then it goes back to what else was going on there. The fact that NIH and Dr. Fauci and the organization that he was responsible for gave money to this guy, Peter Daszak, 
from uh, EcoHealth Alliance who funded that lab. So th this is the crazy thing, and people know this, but we, we potentially funded the research that came back to, this, to, you know, to potentially destroy our country and, you know, could have, you know, had this virus been more deadly, destroyed, you know, uh, half the population of the earth. So we got to figure out what's going on here. We got to figure out what was motivating. And, 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 and you know, the, the lie is always worse than the initial sin, you know, and, and I think there's going to be a lot of that, particularly here with the coronavirus. We're going to see that there was a lot of stuff that was out there that Dr. Fauci knew at certain times, uh, things that he was, that he wouldn't, that he wouldn't share with us for, for reasons I don't understand. It could be financial, you know. Admiral Jackson, you know, I hold you in the highest regard. I'm going to have to disagree slightly with this one. On this one, if you, if this panel control, which I think the world needs to see, Exactly what was going on in Wuhan, and if they were doing gain-of-function experiments, I understand Fauci and all the spin from everybody yep, later, yep. which is bad enough, and how right. the CCP exacerbated But if you can prove with evidence and science that gain-of-function experiments were going on, directed evolution, as they call it, were going on in that lab, yep. totally, totally contradicting the, the bioweapons treaty that they signed, the Chinese Communist Party signed, that yep. is a blockbuster because that is going to lead to a lot of other things. Admiral Jackson, I know you got to bounce. How do people get the book? But as importantly, how do people follow you? Because this, uh, with the weaponization of government, the oversight, the judiciary, we got so many, the appropriations, there's so many big things going on. You were put on this committee for your scientific knowledge, your understanding of medicine and the fact that people, anybody knows Ronnie Jackson knows Admiral Jackson knows he cannot be spun, right? So you're on yeah. there for a reason. You're kind of the tip of the spear. How do people follow you on social media? Well, look, they can go to any of my social media platforms, Truth, uh, Truth Social, Facebook, Twitter. It's at Ronnie Jackson TX. That's Ronnie with a Y, R-O-N-N-Y Jackson TX. Or you can go to my website, which is RonnieJacksonTX.com, and you can follow me at those locations. Please do. And, you know, if you want to get the book, it's Holding the Line. Just Google Holding the Line, Ronnie Jackson, and you can, you can buy it from a variety of uh, vendors. Uh, but, Steve, I really appreciate you having me on the show. I look forward to getting back as this goes on and talking more about what we're doing in that committee to, to, to hold uh, folks accountable and uh, to, to get some answers. Uh, Admiral Jackson, we look forward to having you back on often because you and MTG are on there for a reason, and that is to get the truth out to the American people and, quite frankly, to the world. This has got to be put on the world stage. People talk about these, the balloons and the, the balloons, and as terrible as they are and what's happening there, and it's awful, and the way the administration, the regime's handle is awful. That is a one on a scale of one to ten. What happened in the Wuhan lab is a ten yep. on a scale of ten, and that's what we need to get to the bottom of it. Thank you very much. Honor to have you on, sir. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Boris Epstein uh, joins us. Uh, Boris, uh, thank you for coming in by, by phone. I know you only got a few minutes. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the Ukraine situation. And now we understand, uh, Boris, that uh, the, the, the head of the U.N. saying, hey, we're not really in a war with Russia. We just support Ukraine. But on a uh, on a on a several hundred mile front right now, the uh, 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 the cities, the towns, these strategic hamlets in, in the in the east uh, particularly Bakhmut, are being shelled back into the Stone Age. Zelensky's making emergency calls all over. He needs immediate uh, re-ammunition. Re uh, he needs more support. He needs more missile support, rocket support, artillery support. Uh, give us your assessment of how straight is the Biden administration being to the American people about what's actually going on in Ukraine, sir? Not straight at all. The Biden administration... Steve, honored to be with you, honored to be with the posse. The Biden administration continues to lie to the American people on every single front, from the Ukraine to the fact that the Chinese Communist Party controls Beijing, Joe Biden, and his crime family, to the, the document boxes disaster that Joe Biden has, the 1,850 boxes of documents at University of Delaware boxes in, uh, in Boston. Who knows what he's got in any of those? Joe Biden and his family and his administration have been lying to and continue to lie to the American people consistently. And on Ukraine specifically, that is a disaster. It is a quagmire. It is a full-on destructive combat and, and just blindly throwing money, throwing weapons, throwing heavy-grade uh, munitions, and, and, and let's be honest, throwing, quote-unquote, instructors men and women of the American forces over there is only fueling that disaster without a parallel effort or an leading effort to put the conflict to an end, as President Trump said, needs to happen within 24 hours.
Admiral Jackson on here to talk about the military chain command before he got up. I got Timothy Alberino, who's kind of one of the experts. He knows a lot about these uh, UAPs. Is this a is this a Mr. All afternoon? It's on fire because they had the intelligence briefing. The senators are coming out and saying the senators, Democratic senators are coming out saying we are not hearing the straight story. We're not hearing enough. The Biden regime, the Biden administration has got to come forward and have a frank discussion with evidence with the American people now. Uh, what, what is your take on this about this whole situation between tri- Chinese uh, uh, satellite, uh, Chinese observation balloons versus these, what they're saying on the Chiron of MSNBC is UFOs? It appears that clearly that Joe Biden and his team have done all they can to protect China in this. And that was clear in the, with the first balloon. Why do they allow the balloon to cross the continental United States? Why do they wait a week to tell the Secretary of Defense to alert them, and why do they try to hide it from the American people? Again, keep in mind, if somebody in Montana didn't go outside and take a picture, we wouldn't even know about this balloon with a payload the size of a school bus that then had to be shot down in, into the Atlantic. This is old-school misrepresentation, obfuscation, and lying by Joe Biden. And remember, some of these Democrat senators know Biden from way back when he was in the Senate, and they didn't respect him then, and they don't respect him now. He's not a serious player, but he is a serious liar. I know you got to step back in your meeting right now. How do people get to your social media? How do they get to your morning newsletter and all your all your coordinates? Steve, it's an interesting time out there. A lot, you know, people need to be careful. They need to be thoughtful. The financial system is strained across across the world. The economic system is strained, and now there's military conflict all across the world. My information. Hot on the website, BorisCP.com, hot on BorisCP.com, hot on Getter at BorisCP, on Twitter at BorisCP, hot on True Social at Boris, and the hottest on the gram, Boris underscore Epstein. Stay strong, stay vigilant, God bless, all offense, and I'll see you tomorrow. Boris, thank you very much. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's 10 times more dangerous right now than the Cuban Missile Crisis. Let me bring in, I've wanted to have this guy on for a long time because his books are absolutely incredible. Timothy Alberino. Timothy is a is quite frankly an expert along the lines of uh, Joe Allen on transhumanism, but he also makes uh, a very and by the way, the whole uh, question about the uh, about God and religion and the spirit and all that. His book Birthright: The Coming Posthuman Apocalypse and the Assertion Usurpation of Adam's Dominion. Timothy, I, I want you on today because I, I talk, reach out to Joe. We've wanted to have you on talk about transhumanism, but specifically today they had a. These briefings they're giving to senators, classified briefings, the guys are coming out and saying, hey, we're not hearing enough. You make a pretty compelling case on a lot of your writings about UFOs, about UAP. Tell people UAPs. Where, where do you stand right now on what's happening here? Is this a misdirection play to get the narrative off well, all the failings of the Biden regime? Or do, you th- or do you think there's something there? Thanks for having me on, Steve. Yeah, I think that right now what we're seeing is that the Pentagon is using the public's interest in UFOs as a diversion to try and obfuscate the spycraft activity in our airspace by foreign actors. So I think this is they're just using our fascination with UFOs as a cover up. And this is this is a very interesting situation because usually it's the other way around. Uh, High altitude balloons and drones are commonly cited to cover up legitimate UFO activity, because there is legitimate UFO activity. We're talking about advanced aerospace vehicles that that move erratically, that uh, that are capable of of trans medium uh, uh, traveling through trans medium applications through water, through aerospace. Um, And what we're seeing being shot down around the United States now is not that these are very likely Chinese balloons and other kinds of drones and things that they're using to spy on Americans. Timothy, when you have, uh, I think the report from the Pentagon, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it had 325 incidents captured by Navy or Air Force pilots. I don't mean flakes. I mean people that are combat veterans. That are 325 in the Pentagon report. When I see General Austin... Uh, pulled off a tarmac in Brussels where he's over there for this controversial rearmament of the Ukraine, and it's raining. And the Chiron at MSNBC says the military has shot down shot down three unidentified flying objects, and that's on the Chiron from M- MSNBC. What are they trying to do to the American people? Is that gaslighting? Because 
before, if you put that up there, you said these people are complete kooks. Why is it happening now? And why is it happening with the most major of the news networks? Well, frankly, I think what we're seeing is a distraction from Biden's embarrassing hand- handling of the Chinese spy balloon incident, the CIA sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline, the imminent release of the Epstein files, and the fact that Russia is about to obliterate the U.S.-backed forces in Ukraine. And so they're pulling out this very strange distractionary tactic about UFOs. Now, let me make it clear. I believe that UFOs are real. I'm talking about legitimate UFOs that are not man-made. In the words of the astrophysicist uh, Eric Davis, uh, Eric Davis, uh, uh, craft that is not made in, on this world. Um, and those are real in my estimation. But it's just bizarre watching the Pentagon use UFOs as a cover for all this other stuff. Members of, of the community that, that are experts in this area about these, uh, what is it, unauthorized aerial phenomenon or unidentified aerial phenomenon, I think they call them now UFOs, the experts, people like UAP, yourself, yeah. in that community right now, what, UAPs, what is the general, what is the general thinking is it split or where's the community? They think also that this is a misdirection play? Yes, I, I would say that the majority of of competent ufologists that I know and follow are saying that these are not, you know, the typical UFOs, the, the, the popular UFOs, the ones that make these right angle turns at high speeds and uh, and are capable of performing these incredible aerial feats that we should not be conflating what uh, the government, what the Air Force is shooting out of the sky right now with, with legitimate UFO activity. There is, I would say, there is a consensus among serious ufologists. Timothy, one of the reasons I, I, I love your writing is that you bring in so much of the uh, Christian perspective, right, about transhumanism. You had Biden have this executive order that they, they mask by saying it's the moonshot for cancer. But if you look at it, it's a whole of government approach to really take transhumanism and, and really take it to the next level. What, what, what's your thinking about the Biden regime in, in regards to transhumanism and how dangerous this is getting? Well, transhumanism, in my opinion, is the it's one of the most important things that is unfolding on planet Earth right now. I mean, we are transhumanism for, for people I'm sure people listening to you are well aware of the fact that when we say transhuman, we're talking about a transition from human to something other than human, going from being a human being to a post-human. And this, of course, is what uh, uh, Yuval Harari is out there talking about and all the people at the World Economic Forum. They're for this. They think that humans are bad for the planet, uh, that we're basically a plague on planet Earth, and that we need to we need through directed evolution to evolve into uh, a, a into the next level of our evolution, the evolutionary ascent of the human species into a post-human. You know, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche called this the overman. And it's, it's actually quite demonic. And I use that term purposely. It's, it's demonic because there's, it's, it's very important to understand the purpose, the, the purpose of humanity. And this comes from, obviously, I'm coming from a biblical worldview. And if, you, and if you understand that mankind was created for a purpose on planet Earth, we, we, we are the sons and daughters of Adam, and that there are things associated with being the sons and daughters of Adam that are exceedingly important, like the authority and dominion of, of this planet that we've been given from God. Well, I believe that the real danger in post-humanism is that we are go- we're going to lose that, that mandate, that authority. That, that God-given authority on planet Earth, if we become something other than human. So transitioning humanity out of Adam is, is frankly, the most dangerous thing that can happen on planet Earth, in my estimation. We only got a couple of minutes left, but I got to ask you, as you go through this, that convergence point, the singularity, are we a generation away, 50 years away, 25 years away? We now know with the AI, everybody's talking about it. How far down the time horizon do you think, as Timothy Alberto think we are? Well, I, you know, I, I would concur with, with Harari when he says that within one to 200 years, the human species is basically going to be gone on planet Earth. 
that that we're going to be looking at a post-human paradigm. So I think that we are within a couple generations of, of losing our humanity and transitioning to, into something that is no longer human. And then you add in the, technolo- the, the artificial intelligence and all the other things that are developing concurrently with, um, with the genetic revolution. Um, I mean, we're, we are headed for a dystopic, apocalyptic future. Timothy, how do people get your writings? This book's amazing. I know you get many others out there. How do they get to your website? How do they get to your writings? How do they find out your next speaking engagement? Uh, you can get Birthright uh, on Amazon or uh, Walmart.com, any of the major uh, online retailers. You can follow me at TimothyAlberino.com and also YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Timothy Alberino. Timothy, amazing work. We look forward to having you back on here so we can go into depth some of your, your thinking. It's absolutely incredible, and I strongly recommend anybody interested in this field has got to get your book. Thank you very much, sir. Honored to have you on here. Thank you, Steve. Okay, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, saddle up. You're going to be back in the war room. We're going to be on fire. We'll see you then. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67% and do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today. Check it out.